This is but one of a thousand true crimes. Hey everyone, welcome back to A Thousand True Crimes. You're here with Chelsea and my lovely co-host Joe. Hi everyone, first ep of the new year. Happy New Year, everybody. I hope everyone had a great holiday season. Yes. And everyone, you know, got some rest and relaxation and all my retail workers, I feel you. I hated this time of year when I was in retail and I feel like you guys... MVPs should be off for like the next month yeah. <laughs> for real. Um, but yeah, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'll be back to work in like I don't know a few days, so I'm not. I'm not looking forward to that, but um, also am because I I missed my girls. That's good. I'm sure they missed you. <laughs> Um, did you guys have a good holiday? We did. We went up to Northern Virginia to visit in-laws. So I got to see like my brother-in-law, new sister-in-law, um, from Hawaii and it was good. It was a good time. Lays came with us too. (laughs) She is part of the family as much as my father-in-law does not, um, he likes her because she's our dog. I'm just going to say that. Listen, I left mine at home. I was like, I need a, I need a fucking break. I love you guys, but I need a break. Yeah. <laughs> they got to stay no, at home with their Aunt Rachel. <laughs> no, she's good. So it was good. It was nice. I got a break from being solo parenting. Yeah. So. Let's see family and just celebrate that and. Just all the holiday traditions that are, like, now part of your life. It's all good. Yep. So before we jump into this case, I just want to give you guys a reminder because I know we had the Christmas special and then we had Darlie's case. So I know that there was, like, a lot of kind of unique style episodes recently. So I'm just going to jump back in and tell you guys, you know, if you like what you're hearing, if you like what we're doing, if you want to support us and give us a New Year's gift or a holiday gift or whatever, um, if you would give us a like or a follow or subscribe um, on whatever platform you listen to, that would be awesome. Also, if you are on Apple Podcasts, if you guys want to leave us a review or a rating, those go a long way in um, boosting us up the charts so that people can see us. And if you're interested in joining our community, our little group, um, you can find us on Facebook at A Thousand True Crimes podcast discussion group and then you can also find us on instagram at a thousand true crimes pod and that's where we're going to drop any new info or like cute pictures or have discussions or if you guys have recommendations for us that's where you can let us know what cases you want us to cover and then one final reminder we do have our ongoing um merch giveaway um and i am actually going to post a video of that today when it drops um where if you so our clip art is like uh just kind of something that we were able to throw together because neither of us have digital art making skills um so if you guys have digital art making skills and you want to make us a clip art or some kind of version of our current cover art um send it to us 
It doesn't have to be good. You can make it in pencil. You can make it in crayon. You can make it as a doodle. It doesn't matter. We will send you a bath bomb um, for free that my mom made for us. She has an Etsy store. It's called Savage Daughter Wears. You can totally check it out and see like the quality of her products. They're really good quality. Um, and if we really like it, we will use it as our cover art. And no matter what you send us, unless you tell us very specifically that you don't want us to, we will promote it on our page with your, uh, name and stuff like that. So we will definitely promote it. And then if we use it as our clip art, we'll definitely include your artist. Um, Lays came with us too. (laughs) She is part of the family as much as my father-in-law does not, um, he likes her because she's our dog. I'm just going to say that. Listen, I left mine at home. I was like, I need a, I need a fucking break. I love you guys, but I need a break. Yeah. <laughs> they got to stay no, at home with their Aunt Rachel. <laughs> no, she's good. So it was good. It was nice. I got a break from being solo parenting. Yeah. So. Let's see family and just celebrate that and. Just all the holiday traditions that are, like, now part of your life. It's all good. Yep. So before we jump into this case, I just want to give you guys a reminder because I know we had the Christmas special and then we had Darlie's case. So I know that there was, like, a lot of kind of unique style episodes recently. So I'm just going to jump back in and tell you guys, you know, if you like what you're hearing, if you like what we're doing, if you want to support us and give us a New Year's gift or a holiday gift or whatever, um, if you would give us a like or a follow or subscribe um, on whatever platform you listen to, that would be awesome. Also, if you are on Apple Podcasts, if you guys want to leave us a review or a rating, those go a long way in um, boosting us up the charts so that people can see us. And if you're interested in joining our community, our little group, um, you can find us on Facebook at A Thousand True Crimes podcast discussion group and then you can also find us on instagram at a thousand true crimes pod and that's where we're going to drop any new info or like cute pictures or have discussions or if you guys have recommendations for us that's where you can let us know what cases you want us to cover and then one final reminder we do have our ongoing um merch giveaway um and i am actually going to post a video of that today when it drops um where if you so our clip art is like uh just kind of something that we were able to throw together because neither of us have digital art making skills um so if you guys have digital art making skills and you want to make us a clip art or some kind of version of our current cover art um send it to us it doesn't have to be good you can make it in pencil you can make it in crayon you can make it as a doodle it doesn't matter we will send you a bath bomb um for free that my mom made for us she has an etsy store it's called savage daughter wears you can totally check it out and see like the quality of her products they're really good quality um and if we really like it we will use it as our cover art and no matter what you send us unless you tell us very specifically that you don't want us to we will promote it on our page with your uh name and stuff like that so we will definitely promote it and then if we use it as our clip art we'll definitely include your artist um the artist name in our cover art so everyone can see it anytime they look us up so that's the merch giveaway that we have going on right now so that's and i think that's all i got for housekeeping all right well are you ready to just kick off the new year with some depression 
Uh, yeah. No kidding. So when she told when Chelsea told me that she was doing this case, I didn't recognize the name. But then when I Googled, you know, the pictures like I usually do so I can see it all came flooding back to me. So like, yeah, this is going to be a rough one. Yeah. 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 So we are talking about Jessica Chambers. Um, and I pretty much got my notes from the ID documentary that they did. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Or- mm-hmm. Um, called Jessica Chambers an ID murder mystery. All right. So on December 6, 2014, around 8 p.m., two guys are driving down Heron Road in Cortland, Mississippi. Now, this road is very, very rural. There is nothing out there. It is very dark. But up ahead on the road, they see a fire. So they slowly start to realize that that it's a car on fire, but no one at the moment that they can see is around. So they call 911 and at about 8.07 p.m. Within two minutes, the local volunteer firefighters arrive on scene. So everyone at the scene at the moment just thinks it's just a car on fire and it's not a big deal. But then something described as a scene from Walking Dead happens. A young woman is walking towards them in a zombie-like manner. Her arms are stretched out, and she's saying, help me, help me. Mm. She was nearly naked, mm. so they get a blanket wrap to wrap her up in. And they start to walk her away from the burning car, and she just collapsed. Mm. So, Jessica Lane Chambers was born February 2nd, 1995, and was the daughter of Ben Chambers and Lisa Daughtry. Lisa was a nurse and Ben was a mechanic for the sheriff's department. Jessica's parents separated when she was three, but they had a good relationship. She had five siblings and she was, she had a pretty, like, a happy childhood. She did cheerleading in high school and played softball. Um, like I said, Jessica lived in Cortland, Mississippi, which is a very rural commu- community in Panola County and is on the Mississippi Delta. Is that, so just do you, are bit. you, is that, is that anything familiar to you? Mm-mm. No, far away. Side note, I used to live in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, talk about culture shock. Um, no, I don't know exactly where Cortland, Mississippi is. Well, it's rural. I'm about to tell you some information. So, according to citydata.com, in 2019, Cortland had a population of 511. What? The medium in the medium income was 26,858 what? and the medium house value was 63,669 and rent was around $960. Okay, first of all, I don't understand that rent number. That makes no sense. But second of all, these were like yeah, okay. I The picture is painted. All right. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. I'm just going to leave it at that. So now Cortland is a very small town, mm. but it is actually pretty diverse for how small of a town it is. Okay. It's about, at least during this time in 2014, it's about equal parts white and black, and it's not as segregated as a lot of small ta- Mississippi towns are. Okay, that's good to know. Because, you know, immediately in my head, mm-hmm. that's what I thought. Yeah. And so Jessica was someone that 
knew pretty much everyone in Cortland and everyone kind of knew who she was. Like, again, people know, like, everyone knows everybody. 501 people? Yeah, I would assume so. 511. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. I left out 10 people there. (laughs) Yeah. So... Now, Jessica's life was not perfect. Her father, Ben, was arrested for manufacturing methamphetamine. And he went to jail, and eventually he was able to be a mechanic at the sheriff's department as a trustee. They ended up liking him so much that he eventually is hired by the sheriff's department. Wow. In 2000, I know. Well, I mean, they're not a huge Slim pick slim pick is about no, which I'm not saying has been. Everyone makes mistakes. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Myself included. Yep. You're right. You're right. So in 2012, Jessica's brother, Alan, who was 28 at the time, was killed in a car accident. And this kind of turned everything upside down um, for the family. Aww. After this, Jessica starts to hang out with some kind of like shady people. She doesn't make the best decisions. But she's still able to graduate from South Panola High School in 2013, and she starts working. Okay. She started to work at a clothing store called Goodies. That sounds and that sounds like a dude a dude ranch. That's what that sounds like. Yeah, I don't. I feel like I remember Goodies, but that's also because of me living in the Deep South, and I'm wondering if that was a store. In, like, the mall that had, like, five stores in there. I bet like, it was. When I saw that, I was like, it's like, it's like I can see it in my head, but I can't see it in my head. I bet it's probably just a normal store, just like a dude ranch is just a a, a cattle ranch converted a to yeah. a place for tourists. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. it doesn't sound mm-hmm. that way. <laughs> Learning something new every day. Every day. So she was working there while she kind of tried to figure out what she wanted to do with her life. Okay. Um, she had thought about being a nurse, a teacher, or even a writer. Oh. Okay. So that's a little bit of the background of Jessica, kind of like. And she was, this, I mean, she yeah, was beautiful. That she's from. Again, I don't, yeah. I can't imagine that we're ever going to have a victim on here that I'm not like, she was beautiful, but she was, she was beautiful. Um. So now we're going to kind of go back to the night of the crime, okay. of the murder. So Daniel Cole, who is, direct, who is the director of emergency operations of Panola County, starts to ask the woman what her name was. Her mouth was burned terribly and her skin was tightening up. And she also has, like, and she's been breathing in a lot of heavy smoke. Okay. So... She's literally, like, singed from head to toe. I'm shuddering. I... Like, her hair is singed. Mm. She doesn't have blonde hair. She's, she's, for those who don't know, she had blonde hair. She did not have blonde hair anymore. Mm. Like, it's, yeah. Mm-mm. So, after many, many attempts, the woman says her name is Jessica Chambers. So because this is such a small town, rural area, most of the people on the scene actually knew Jessica. Mm -hmm. Okay. So right off the bat, the firefighters, the emergency workers, 
believe that the car was set on fire intentionally due to the car not being racked and how intense the fire was burning. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of like everyone is getting the idea that she's probably isn't going to make it. Mm. And they start to really ask her, like, who did this to you? And Jessica is struggling with her words. Of course she is. Of course she is. Her speech is, like, rounded rocks. Like, no one can really understand. But eventually they're able to. And she does give a name. The first responders think they they hear Eric or Derek. And that's important to remember. Okay. Okay. Jessica is flown out to Memphis to Regional One Hospital to an excellent burn center. Jessica was burned over 98% of her body. Jesus Christ. With second and third degree burns. It is believed that she was in the car for three to five minutes before she got out. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. So eventually, I know that doesn't sound like arrives. But if we sat here for three to five minutes, we would get to minute two, and all of us would feel uncomfortable. Three. What? Being on fire? No, no. I'm just saying it doesn't – three to five minutes doesn't sound like a lot. But if we were just to sit here in silence for two minutes, we would all feel uncomfortable. Girl, I try to do plank holds for 30 seconds, and I'm fucking uncomfortable. I know. I know. I know. That's a long-ass fucking So, time. like, I could not imagine being on fire. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So eventually her family gets to the hospital and the doctors tell her family there's nothing they can do. Oh, shit. Lisa, her mother, makes a heartbreaking decision and tells Jessica it is okay to go. Okay, that's a good mom. They're here. That's a good mom. She tells her she doesn't need to suffer and she can go on. Shortly, Shortly after her mom told her this, Jessica passed away on December 7th, 2014. She was only 19 years old. She's a baby. She's a baby. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go back to Mississippi. Now we're focusing on like the investigation. The sheriff's department is investigating the crime scene. They do find a few items that they believe are important. They find Jessica's cell phone outside of the car. They find a scrap of Jessica's bra and it's becoming clearer and clearer that a sexual crime had also been committed, which Like, spoiler alert, they can never prove because of how damaged her body was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Jessica's bra and some other items were sent to the AFT laboratory in Atlanta. The car is eventually put on a flatbed, flatbed, not flatbread, and (laughs) taken to the sheriff's department. Sorry, I'm a little hungry. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Um, now the sheriff's department knows that this horrific crime is way too big for them. So they immediately get help from the FBI, the Missis and the, um, Mississippi Bureau of Investigation, which like kudos to them. They got help immediately. That they weren't like, well, let's see what we can find out. Yeah. Like, they're like, no, this is way beyond. Yeah. You're right. Our capabilities. Yeah. So investigators speak to Jessica's mom, and she is able to give them a timeline of Jessica's day the night she was murdered. 
Lisa said that Jessica had gone out in the morning and was riding around with her friend Kesha. Keisha. Sorry, Keisha. Okay. She came home around 2 in the afternoon, took a nap in the lounger, and at around 4.25, Jessica gets a call. She tells her mom she's going to go up to the store called M&M's Quick Stop, which is a gas station. Jessica tells her mom that she'll be back in a little bit, and at 6.48 that night, Lisa gets a phone call from Jessica, and Lisa describes this conversation as odd. She said that normally when she would speak to Jessica, it would be loud. There would be music playing, people talking, you know, things like that. Yeah. But this time, it was silent. It's just quiet. Okay. Jessica said she would be home in a little bit to clean her room up and said bye. I love you, Mama. And that's the last time anybody heard from Jessica. God, that hurts my heart. I know. That's awful. So, SSA agent Tim Douglas, who was part of the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation, became the lead investigator on Jessica's case. So investigators are looking at photos of Jessica when she arrived to the hospital, and this is where they find some clues on where in the car the fire started. They notice that across Jessica's body is a splash pattern of burns. The doctor at the burn unit indicated that because of the burn patterns on her body, that an accelerant was used. Yep. The ATF tested the bra that was recovered at the scene, and gasoline was identified on the bra. So at this point, the investigators are focusing on what Jessica said, that it was either Eric or Derek who did this. Okay. So SS agent Douglas calls an analyst and asks for every Eric or Derek, their address, phone number in Panola County. Okay. So as they're waiting for the names... A man, Jerry King, that was out for a walk with his child in a stroller, finds Jessica Keys. He notices that the keys had a Ben's body shop tag on them, which is Jessica's dad's body shop. Okay. The keys were found about a quarter of a mile from the crime scene. So Jerry calls the sheriff's department, and the sheriff's department ah. then sends the keys to... what you do? I just saw a picture of the burns. Just scrolling, just scrolling, keep going. Sorry. She's... Why would you look that up? I didn't look it up. I'm just looking at pictures. I'm just scrolling. Girl, it's not... It's not for the faint of heart. I didn't see a lot. Okay, I didn't see a lot. I didn't see a lot. We're just gonna go back to page three. Yeah, don't go... So don't go past page three? Mm-hmm. Apparently, don't okay. go past page three. This is why I never go past page two in Google. That's why. Um, <laughs> this is why. Yeah. You, you start getting real, some real weird fucking Mm-mm. results after that. Mm-mm. Yeah. Don't um, want to see that. Oh, my God. Okay. Keep going. Sorry. 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 No, you're fine. So the sheriff's department then sends the keys to Scales Biological Laboratory to hopefully get some DNA evidence. Okay. All right. Okay. So John Champion, district attorney, he prosecuted Jessica's case. Okay. So investigators and John go to the store that Jessica said she was at. The clerk, Ali Alusani, okay. Alusani, yeah, 19, was able to confirm that Jessica was there and said, you know what? I got video. Yes. You can see Jessica walking in and out. 
So he gives the video to investigators and in the video, you see her first at 5.20 p.m. as she pulls into the store. She got some gas and then went into the store and talked to Ali. She makes a call and then we see her drive away. Okay. All right. So, a little side note is that Ali starts talking to the press and he is from Yemen. And internet trolls decide that he must have done it because he was Muslim and a terrorist. Oh, shit. Get the fuck out of here. By the way, he's not a terrorist. Investigators had to actually go to the media to tell everyone that Ali is not a suspect. He was cleared by the FBI, and all he wanted to do was to help Get the find fu- right? Jessica's killer. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Fuck you. Because he saw her almost on, like, a daily basis when she would come to the store. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, of course he wants to help. We all have that gas station guy. Well, I don't know. On military bases, it might be different. But I have my gas station guy. Yeah, he knows different. me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I like, when I was, like, watching the documentary, I was like, yep, 2014. Sounds about fucking right. No kidding. Yeah. Yep. 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 Nonsense. Yeah. Nonsense. So, detectives speak to Keisha Myers. I want to say Kesha because it's K-E-S-H-A. That looks, yeah, that looks like Kesha. That's how Kesha spelled except she has a dollar sign in there. Yeah. (laughs) I know. It's not. And I'm like, it's not Kesha. Um, It'd be cool if it was, though. I'm pretty sure it's not. Fuck. Now I'm going to double. No, it's Keisha. It's Keisha. Keisha. Yeah. It's Keisha. Yeah. Keisha Meyer, the friend that Jessica was with, and this actually was Jessica's best friend. Okay. She confirms that, yes, they were riding around that morning, and Jessica stops to pick up a young black male who Keisha (laughs) remembers his name as Quentin. Okay. They make a loop of Cortland and actually went down Heron Road. Okay. She and Jessica smokes a blunt, and then they drop Quentin off. Okay. It is later confirmed it was Quentin Tellis, and it is from, and he is from the area, and he lives with his mother. This all seems very innocent to me. So far, so far. Mm-hmm. They live almost directly across from the M&M store. Oh, okay. So he had been to prison a couple of times for burglary, but he was always let out early. So probably good behavior or minor infractions. Yeah. And like I live in a small southern town Mm -hmm. and there really is not much to do. So for me, like as as I'm watching it, I'm like, yep. Yeah. Sounds about right. They rode around. (laughs) They got high. And he probably does steal random shit because there's literally nothing to do. Yeah. 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 Like. Yeah. Cool. We know how small towns are. Um, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not everybody in a small town does that. No, no, no. I know. But the kids. Because uh, I never but, did. But but a lot of times, like, kids look for things to do. Like, just, and it's not mm-hmm. like they're looking for crime or anything, but sometimes crime is the thing that they find to do because they're bored. And I don't think yeah. that's the end of the world. Okay. So, Quentin Jessica actually met about two weeks prior to her death. Okay. They bring in Quentin and they question him. He tells them the same story that Keisha did, that Jessica had stopped, picked him up that morning. They rode around, a.k.a. Um, busting a loop. 
They bust the loop. Is what he called it? Yeah. Yeah. And they dropped him off at home around 11 a.m., and that was the last time he ever saw her. He said that they are just friends. They ask if he knew anyone in Jessica's life named Eric or Derek. So he tells investigators that there that there is this guy named Derek Holmes. Oh. And he had been pretty strange with Jessica. And they find out that he is on time and he's a sex offender. Oh. And he has a record of exploitation of a minor. So now people told investigators that when Derek would see Jessica in the store, he would bug her and he really like wanted to go out on a date with her, but she wasn't interested. So the investigators bring Derek into questioning at the sheriff's department. When they ask where they were the night of Jessica's murder, he responded with, well, I was at home rubbing my mother's feet. Ew. What? So SS agent Douglas is like, how can you remember that? And Derek tells him that he rubs his mother's feet every night because he, she has a diabetic condition. Ew, what? So investigators speak to his mother, brothers, and a few other people who were at the house, and they confirm that Derek never left the house. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. There's been cases where family members have... Covered your ass. Definitely messed with evidence. Yep. So... Oh, I, okay. I don't know about that. So now their investigators are back to square one. And they end up looking at 468 Eric's, Derek's, and Jarek's. Okay. In the Panola County area and surrounding areas. Okay. Now, here's when a major issue comes into the case. Every one of the guys that the detectives line up are black. Everyone? Okay, 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 okay. At least the vast majority okay. are black. So, A, that's a bad look. That's a bad mm -hmm. look. I'm not going to deny it. That's a bad look. Yeah, that's all I got to say. <laughs> that's a bad look. Yeah, it's a bad look. Mm -hmm. um, and some of them even went to the media saying that they were being racially profiled. And this causes a huge rift in the community. Yeah, yeah. So the following of all names, though, leads to nothing but dead ends. Okay. And that is when the U.S. Marshal's crime lab finally comes back with new evidence. Okay. Remember how they found Jessica's cell phone? Yep. Well, they're able to pull the information from it. Fantastic. All right. What do they got? Yep. Just because you burn shit doesn't mean it goes away. That's right. That's right. The marshals were able to get into her phone, and now the investigators are able to see her incoming and outgoing calls and texts. Okay. This reveals that... It, th this reveals that they never find an Eric or a Derek that Jessica had been talking to. Okay. What they okay. do find are text messages to an unsaved number going back about a week before her death and had turned sexual. Okay. The person texting Jessica was saying he was like, you know, horny and Jessica responds with like, oh Lord. And so whoever this number was, was bugging her for sex from the third all the way up to her death of December. It is also so, the same number, same number that Jessica called at 529 the night she was killed. So she... Okay, okay, no, keep going. I'm not... 
I know better. I know better. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. Investigators find out the number belongs to Quentin Tellis. Okay. All right. Okay. Who she had known for so, about two weeks prior to her death. Mm-hmm. So, and they were just friends according to him. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. I'll reserve my so judgment. Two, okay. So two FBI agents go to question Quentin at his house and he speaks with them freely, which Get a lawyer. We won't judge you. We will cover your case and we won't judge you. He then admits that him and Jessica actually aren't just friends, that they have had sex before and points to a field behind his mom's house and that it took place in her car. So this is what I was this is what I was like speculative of where I'm like, okay, so Quentin finally got this girl's number. She's like young. She's hot. She's cute. And he's like, okay, I mean, like this. So far, so I have, like, prejudice, right? My prejudice is that Mm -hmm. cops Mm -hmm. fuck over everybody. And so my prejudice is always, like, oh, they're going to fuck over this, like, black kid because it was a white chick who died. Whereas if it had been Mm -hmm. a black woman who had died or a Hispanic woman who had died or, or, or an indigenous woman, any person of color who had died, it wouldn't have been taken that seriously. But now they have this kid who is a black man who is also sexually active with this woman a i can understand why he would have hit it at first because you're scared Mm -hmm. as fuck and b they're gonna like frame him to be a monster yeah but let's see let's see all right let's see let's see yeah yeah I, I just don't want to say don't, don't say don't yeah I don't, don't want to give it away don't say anything yet don't say so anything yet. I'm just kind of like yeah yeah I I see where you're coming from yeah uh, I know there's more coming I know there's more um, coming mm-hmm. okay okay so he said that they had sex took place in a car so Quentin mentions that when they were having sex they had to lean the seat back so. When they brought in her car to process it, the seat is laying back in the car. Oof, that doesn't look good for him. Mm-mm. So the FBI is like, hmm, really, sir? Yeah, that doesn't look good. He says, though, that they didn't have sex the night in question, but a week earlier. He also shows the agent how he gets around. Because they're like, you know, talking to him, trying to figure him out. Which is a dirt bike, and that is located in a shed on his mother's property, and he shows them the five-gallon gasoline container as well. That's in the shed. Okay. All right. Okay. Quentin tells the agent that he did not see Jessica after he she dropped him off that morning, and the agent asked where he was the night she was murdered, and he said he was in Batesville, which is about 10 miles away, buying a prepaid debit card that he wanted to send Back to his girlfriend who lived in Louisiana so that she could come visit. Okay. That that just sounds like messy teenage relationship crap. All right. When Quentin arrives back home, he finds out what happened to Jessica and he deletes her from his phone. Again, not a good look. No, when agents asked about that, like, why would you do that? He said, well, she wasn't around anymore. It's not a good look, but his logic is sound. See, okay, us as adults, right? You and I, 
Yeah. Let's say that I am like hooking up with a guy, right? And we've known each other for a week, two weeks, and then he stops replying. And then somehow I find out that he's been murdered. I am going to keep every last one of those text messages, every last one of the exchanges that we have, the documentation of when we went out, because you and I both know I need that to prove Mm -hmm. that I didn't do anything. When I was 19, 20, 21, I could totally see myself deleting all that stuff because it's like, well, that person is not in the roster anymore. You know what I mean? Not to sound like callous or anything. But, like, I don't have an I mean, emotional bond with them. I don't have a relationship with them. So, like, I don't care. I mean, I still have people on my phone that I haven't talked to in, like, 10, 15 years. I have some so, of those, too, but not a random hookup. Not just, like, a dude I'm hooking up with. I mean, I have people, like, coworkers that I don't talk to and since, like, 2000 and. When did I graduate college? 10, 2011? Like, y'all, we're in our 30s. Get over it. No. Well, yeah. Okay, valid, valid. I could just. You know what I'm saying? No, like, I see. I see. I understand. I see. I see what you're saying. Where it's just, it's a very callous, it's a very cold, it's a it very is. like. It is. I don't think anybody would, if you were trying to hook up with somebody or even did hook up with somebody, and a, like, and you saw them that day and hung out with them and rode around with them. And then all of a sudden, within, you know, a few hours, they're dead in the way that they died. And you just delete everything. Like, to me, I'd be no, like, no, you're right. You're right. No, you're right. Absolutely. No. From that context, you're right. You're right. Because it was the same day. Red flag. Yeah. It was the now, same day. if it was like, if it was like, oh, a month later. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Okay, that's, you're right. That's where my brain was at, and that's a valid point, that this was the same day that he had hung out. At the very least, Mm -hmm. because he was young, I'm going to give him the credit of being young, an adult in his life should have made clear to him, you keep that shit, and you hold on to that shit until the police are done with you. And you don't talk to the police without a lawyer present? Yep, 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 yep. Okay. So... The FBI, FBI agents are very, very suspicious of Quentin. And Don't they chase him. down his alibi. Okay. So they go to Fred's dollar store on Highway 6 in Batesville. Mm-hmm. And they talk to the manager and video. And you can actually see Quentin buying a green dot, dot card at 8.26 p.m. Oh, which was only about 20 minutes after the 911 call comes comes in. The store is a 15-minute drive from the car Ooh. scene. Ooh, it's close. So he could have made it in time, yeah. but barely. Barely. So they kind of they keep him on the suspect list. Yeah. That's close. And I don't think you're going to hit traffic. Probably not. But he also probably would have still smelled like gasoline, don't you think? You're in the South, dude. Everyone smells like gasoline. Valid point. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. So the rumor mill is just going. Of course. At this point. So as I mentioned in the beginning, Jessica wasn't always in the best, kept the best company around. Yeah. Yeah. And her most recent boyfriend was named Travis Sanford. Okay. And he was about nine years older than Jessica. What? About a... 
yeah. About a month and a half before Jessica passed, Travis was incarcerated on burglary charges. She was still talking to him, like, on the phone, and they had a very dramatic relationship since he was a jealous guy. Oh. There was information going around about the possibility that Travis had found out that Jessica was being unfaithful, and he could have possibly put a hit on her because he was gang-affiliated. Travis doesn't sound like Derek, though. Well. No. And so the investigators do the interview Travis, and they're able to to rule him out. Okay. So six months after the murder, um, Paul Rowlett, an investigator with the U.S. District Attorney's Office, starts to look at the cell phone data. Now, Paul is able to depend is it like Paul's specialty is he is able to, depending on the type of phone, he can pretty much pinpoint where a person was at a certain time based on their phone data. Okay. So they were able to confirm that based on cell phone location that at 6 PM, she was in Batesville. So in August, Paul gets Quentin's cell phone records. Okay. Now Quentin says that he was only in Batesville in the evening but turns out that he was in Batesville earlier in the day in question. Ooh, also not a good He was look. in Batesville the same time Jessica was. I mean, that doesn't surprise me because they had a sexual relationship, but also that's not cute. I mean, that's not, that's not good. For- no, but it's all circumstantial. It is, yeah. But everything is circumstantial at this point. Yep, 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 yep. So, but this also changes everything because remember she says quit, she calls Quentin at 5.36 p.m. Mm-hmm. And they are in Batesville together at 6 p.m. Oh, okay. So police are like, no, police are like, dude, you told us that you didn't see her after 11 a.m. Oh. And she, and, and the incident happened around 7.40? Yeah, 7.40-ish. Oof. So they track him down, and he is in Monroe, Louisiana. Okay. He is in jail for unrelated fraud charge. Dear God, Quentin. He still speaks to the police, and he waives his right to a lawyer. No! And the I know. And the detectives tell him that they got the cell phone records back, and the towers put him in Batesville. So Quentin goes, oh, I didn't have my cell phone with me at that time. And the detectives were like, okay, so who did? And Quentin goes, I did. And they're like, Quentin, if you weren't in Batesville but your cell phone was, then who had your cell phone? Yeah, yeah. He's not helping himself out here. I'm I'm starting to get the vibe that this kid might not be the brightest bulb on the block. Yeah. (laughs) Again, I just – I know all the information, um, so I just don't want to say too much. Um. So Quentin's like, oh, you're right, I was. Huh. Huh. (laughs) Fancy that. Surprise, surprise. Surprise. Totally forgot about that, you know, trip to Batesville. Oh, dear God. Um, Helpless child. So he first says that when he was in Batesville at 6 p.m., he wasn't with Jessica, but with his friend Big Mike. Okay. He's, which is also very... Another southern That is a very southern name. 
He says he did see Jessica that night, but he was in Big Mike's truck. Okay. He saw her at the Taco Bell. He got out, gave her $10 for a bag of marijuana, and got back in the truck with Big Mike, and then we go, and then went back to Cortland to hang out. Okay. So now that is his new alibi. Oh, man. And he didn't want to say that at first because there were drugs. I bet that's why he didn't want to say it. Well, okay. So again... I know I don't know all yeah. the details. And I just know the 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 uh, uh, media f- fixations mm-hmm. that have been a part of this case, and so part of me wants to be like, "No, Quentin's innocent," but uh, that is not. Just tell them. Generally speaking, cops don't care about weed, but again, I'm speaking that as a white woman, and so I uh, can appreciate how he might have been hesitant to bring that information mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Valid. And so he says that they stayed at home until he went back out to get the green dot card. Okay. Okay. So investigators track down Big Mike and they ask him about Quentin's alibi. And he's like, nope, that's not possible because I was in Memphis, Tennessee at a Tennessee Titans game oh, no. with my truck. Oh, no. Oh, no. So the detectives are like, dude. You're not helping Quentin. yourself so out. Go back. You're not helping yourself. And they confront him, and he finally breaks down. He admits that he was with Jessica that night, that they went back to his house, they smoked weed in her car behind his mama's house, and says she left a little after 7. He goes back into his house. The detectives at this point drop a bombshell on Quentin. They tell him, we have cell phone evidence that puts you with Jessica from about 5.20 until 7.30. And at this point, he has like a huge he freaks out. Of course he does. Because up until now, but still not- I bet you he doesn't think that he's going to get charged with her murder. Because he's probably in his mind thinking, well, I didn't do anything, but I don't want to get caught for, like, dealing drugs or anything. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, so at this point, fucking- they still haven't made any arrests in the case okay. or anything like that. Okay. On February 24th, 2016, 14 months after Jessica's death, Quentin Tellis was indicted in the death of Jessica Chambers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the prosecution has coming. its work cut out for them. Yeah. They don't have the murder weapon. So in this case, what was used to set Jessica on fire, they don't have any physical evidence that puts him at the scene, and they don't have any eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses putting, him in the car, putting him in the car with Jessica on Heron Road. Okay. And also, they have Jessica's own words saying a name that sounds like Eric or Derek. Yeah, yeah. So Quentin's family was able to hire a pretty prominent defense team from Jackson, from Jackson, Mississippi. And on October 10th, 2017, three years after Jessica's death, the trial begins in Batesville, Mississippi. Okay. In the courtroom, the tension was high. So again, this is such a small community where a lot of people that were involved, they all knew each other. So during opening statements, the prosecution went for the heartstrings. Champion the DA brings up that they have a mountain of technical evidence against Quentin, and they go for what they believe will be the defense's the defense biggest argument, the Eric or Derek. So they immediately address that. Okay. You know, they bring up the fact that she was so badly burned, she could barely speak, she's in shock. Like, she's not thinking clearly, so they they address that. Okay. So the defense has their turn for opening statements. 
Darla Palmer, which is the defense, as part of the defense team, says that the evidence shows that Eric set me on fire and that cellular, cellular phone records are not as reliable as the prosecution would like you to think. Okay. So the prosecution calls uh, Keisha Myers to the stand. Yep. The prosecution wanted to focus on an event that happened about three days prior to Jessica's death. Keisha, Keisha and Jessica picked Quentin off. I know. It's so bad. I want it to be Kesha. Off to drop him off at a location called the Sandbox. And when he got out of the car, there was an awkward moment. Jessica and Quentin hugged, and Jessica seemed kind of, like, scared of Quentin, and he didn't want to let go. Okay. So it was, like, an awkward moment to where, like, her best friend's like, "Mm." Yeah, I've been there. I've been there. Yeah. So the defense, when they had their turn to question, um, they turned their focus on the day of her murder, December 6th. Okay. So Darla Palmer asks... Um, Keisha, if there was anything awkward or anything of the nature between Jessica and Quentin, and she said no. So now the defense starts to talk about Jessica's life, and they do, you know, this is what they did, and how she hung out with some shady people, and how she dabbled in drugs, and she may have had some blah, enemies blah, in blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, which is like, you know, that's what... It's part of a trial. Happens a lot of the cases. Mm-hmm. There's some, there's always some victim blaming. Yep. Which I don't agree with. Yep. Um, so the prosecution calls Cole Haley next. Okay. My heart broke for this dude. Oh no. Cole was one of the first firefighters to respond to the scene and describe to the jury exactly how horrible the crime scene oh, was. Oh no. Oh no. This is, this is that picture that I saw like a split second of. Oh no. They asked him what he first saw when he got to the scene, and Cole said he saw Jessica standing in the road. He got out, got a blanket, and she had her arms out coming towards him saying, help me. He describes Jessica having black all over her face, her body being severely burned. He laid her down on the road and tried to comfort her as much as possible, and he was asking her who did this. He said Jessica tried to say a name but couldn't, and he couldn't understand what she was saying. She was fading in and out. So when the defense cross-examines Cole and they ask him to read out loud his signed and sworn declaration, he reads, she said somebody set her on fire. And when I asked her who set her on fire, she would say what sounded to be Eric. It's the same. It's that ick with a last. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the prosecution would end up putting every every firefighter first responder that was at the scene to testify to show how chaotic the scene was and how with the condition Jessica was in and the noise of the trucks, how it was impossible for her to clearly say who did this. Now, here's a problem for the prosecution. Okay. Everyone that went up to testify all said they heard her say Eric. OK, uh, see, but that's to me, that's good. That's proof that like it's not. Quentin, because that's definitely a tin. That's not an ick. Mm-hmm. 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 The prosecution really has to get away from Eric or Derek. 
Like they got to get that out of the jury's mind. So they called Jerry King, yeah, the one that was that? walking with his baby after Jessica was killed yeah. and found her keys. And the keys were yeah. in a ditch yeah. directly down the hill on the other side of where the car was found and heading in the direction to Quinton's house. They then called Catherine Rogers, a DNA expert, and she tested the keys for DNA. The majority of the DNA was female, assuming it was Jessica's. But she did find some male DNA and found, uh, I think it was like a total of four male different DNAs. Oh. So what they found was that Quentin could not be ruled out, but the DNA evidence could not positively identify him due to it being such a small amount. The defense cross-examines Catherine, and Darla asks if it is correct that they can't determine determine how long the DNA evidence was on the tags and keys. And Catherine agrees. They can't determine how long the DNA has been on an item. That So I get what they're saying, meaning that, like, Mm -hmm. someone could have had her keys at any time in their past, and that is why their DNA are on those keys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But our, and his DNA could be on those keys because he has already said he's been in that car. But are any of the DNAs connected to somebody with the last name, the last sound of their name being Ick? So I think from my understanding is there wasn't enough DNA evidence. Like it was such a small amount that they can never actually positively identify who okay. the f- other male DNAs were. Okay. Because it was such a small amount. Okay. So, the prosecution finally calls their star witness, Paul uh, Rowlett, the analyst for the Department of Justice. And he was the one that did the whole cell phone data. Okay. So, he tells the prosecution that at, uh, that at almost exactly 7.30 p.m. on the night of the murder, her location is in the area of where she was murdered. But they have a huge gap between 6.30 and 7.30. So he plotted all the data points from that time frame on a map. So pretty much Paul is using the known locations of Jessica and seeing which tower her cell phone is pinging. He is also showing how the movements of Quentin is lining up precisely with Jessica's. Okay. From 629 to 746, there was no activity on either of their cell phones. The last call that Jessica made was at 6.48, and Quentin's doesn't make a call, and Quentin's cell phone doesn't make a call or text until 7.42. And if you could figure out what happened during that time period, you'd be able to find out Jessica's killer. So, the M&M store has surveillance video, and the position looked right in the direction of Quentin's house. Okay. They see a car pull in, and then headlights leave around 7.25, and turned south on 51. Now, this is when Jessica's phone moves with the car and shifts towards the murder scene. So within 15 minutes of the shift of Jessica's phone, she is set on fire. Mm. So they now have Quentin with Jessica, right? Yeah. But they still don't know how or when he set her on fire. Okay. But good old Eminem store has a recording just minutes before Jessica was killed. Yes, they do. (laughs) I know, right? At around 7.50, a vehicle pulls into the shed on Quentin's property. The car was there for about 10 to 15 seconds, then heads back south on 51 towards Heron Road. Now remember, Quentin showed the FBI agents that shed with the gasoline can. 
So the prosecution believes that he went back to the shed to get the gasoline, then went back to the crime scene and then doused the car and Jessica on fire and set it on fire. He then turned, turned around back to Batesville to get the green dot card. The prosecution asks Paul if Quentin reached out to Jessica to check on her when he found out that she had been set on fire. Like, is there anything that shows? And he calls her text. There's no text or calls. And instead, he deleted all the calls and texts between the two. Mm. Mm. That's your guy. That's right your guy. She, right after he set, she's set on fire. That's your guy. Like, come on. Come on. All right. Come on. Tell me what happens. Tell me what happens. I got to know. Okay. So now the defense is ready to cross-examine. Okay. So Dollar brings up the fact that with the RTT data, you can't exactly bring up the precise location of where someone is. Okay. You can pinpoint the area, but not the exact location. Now, if you're in an area that has a lot of cell phone towers, the data is more precise. So like DC, New York, you're going to have a lot more precise locations because okay. you have more towers. Okay. But if you're in a place like Portland with very few cell phone towers, the info is more of an estimated location. Okay. Darla asks if the RTT data can be inaccurate, and Paul pretty much has to admit that sometimes RTT data can be wrong. Okay. Do you know what this, this whole part reminded me of? What? Um, I I had Syed, whatever his name was. Um, Adnan, Adnan Syed. Adnan Syed. Mm-hmm. And outside. Yes, yes, this is. Yeah, you're right. Not wrong. When they were talking. Yeah, when they were talking. Yeah, yeah. About it. Yeah. Mm hmm. Because they were trying to, weren't they doing the opposite? They were trying to use data to prove that he was. To show that it wasn't him. Innocent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That it was whatever. Yeah, that he wasn't close enough and. They yeah. took it. It's been so long since I've heard that case, but it was something about like they were like, no, he pinged on this tower, which means that he was close to where she was. But it's like he could have been so many miles away from her. Like, of course, like it's very yeah. possible he could have pinged on this tower and not have been where she was. We all know that. Yeah, we all know that. It whatever, was also John much, or whatever. much earlier in the 2000s, too. So cell phone technology was not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Too, you know. But anyways, anyways. So. Paul has to pretty much admit that sometimes RTT data can be wrong. So where Jessica had a lot of data points in an area, Quentin would just have a few. That means you can't pinpoint the exact location where someone is located. So pretty much during the cross-examination, the defense makes it clear that the data on Quentin's phone isn't very good. Right. And the defense then goes after the surveillance videos. Now, where the prosecution said you can see Quentin drive towards the crime scene or go to the shed, etc., you never see a tag number. You never see the person driving. Okay. You just see headlights. Okay. Yeah. What What the fuck can you see with that? I mean, you better know your cars mm -hmm. as good as what's-her-name in that fucking movie. God damn it. I got to find it. You know what I'm talking about? No. You do. You do. You do. In My Cousin Vinny. Oh, okay. But she, Okay. By the way, classic movie. Oh, amazing. Um, so now we're at closing arguments. The prosecution has been able to use data to map out Jessica and Quinn's locations, but they haven't been able to answer why did he kill her? 
They bring up the fact that for four days before she was killed, he kept asking Jessica for sex, and she kept saying no. They bring up that even though Jessica kept saying no, Quentin admits to the FBI that they did have sex the day she was murdered, because it, like, changes, and that they had to put the seat back, which the seat was found pushed back in the car when they found it on fire. But wasn't Keisha with them? In the morning, but then, like, she... The evening time. Okay, Mm -hmm. okay, okay. Yeah. So, the prosecution is suggesting that Quentin sexually assaulted Jessica in her car and he possibly thought he had killed her or injured her when she was unconscious. Unconscious? Is that good? And had to kill her to clean up his, like... Scene. Mess. Yeah. Scene. Yeah. Okay. At 8 p.m. 15 minutes after they had just been together, he sends Jessica a text saying, Hey, babe, I can't see you tonight. My girlfriend is coming up. Sweet dreams. But then he, like, deletes everything from his phone. Okay. Suspicious. It's sketch. Yeah, it's sketch. Yeah. So the defense have their turn at the closing argument, and they keep up hammering that Jessica said Eric, and all the first responders knew what they had heard, and that brings up reasonable doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It would for me, too. After six days of testimony, the jury goes to deliberate. Deliberate. A day later, the jury reaches a verdict. This is just mind-blowing to me. The judge asks if all the jurors reached a verdict, and the jury, you know, the jury member that does, like, the handing of the verdict yeah, to the what judge. What is that called? That says, has yes. a name. I forgot the name. They said it in the documentary, and I forgot to write it down. The foreman or the presiding juror? Okay. I'm going to go with foreman. Okay. So the foreman hands the verdict to the judge and says, yes, we reached. But as the judge is being handed the verdict, another jury member goes, nope, I didn't agree. And in the state of Mississippi, that's all it takes. Every single person has to agree. Oh, damn. The juror said that we didn't agree and says, I didn't believe he was innocent. So the judge sends them back to deliberate, and 30 minutes later, the jury comes back again. The judge asks again, did y'all agree on a verdict? All 12 of you are in agreement. And they say yes, and the verdict is read. They find Quentin not guilty of capital murder. Okay. The judge asks slash pulls the jury to make sure that everyone on the jury agrees. He asks the jury member, do you believe he's guilty? He's not guilty. And she's like, no, he's guilty. Damn, shit. So the judge sends them back for a third time. I don't know, Charles. What? After explaining to them, you have to all agree. And now, like, everyone has to be agree. Yes or no. Finally, they come back and the jury says they cannot. um, Because of this one person, wasn't it? I, just, they, I, I don't think it was just one. I think there was multiple, like, different people. Um, that the jury says they cannot unanimously make a verdict of guilty or not guilty. So a mistrial was called. So, okay. So now. Remind me. So a mistrial just means that they get the chance to present the evidence again. Again. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
which is like horrible because now both families, especially like Jessica's family, has to sit through another trial hearing the gory details of how their daughter was murdered. So September 24th, 2018, okay. the second trial takes place. Okay. During the second trial, there are many of the same witnesses, law enforcement, first responders. Yep. But Dr. William Hickerson takes a stand, and he is a world-renowned burn specialist where Jessica was taken to. The prosecution wanted to make sure that the jury understood that you can't put too much credit on what the responders thought they heard because of how severely burned she was. Mm. So Dr. William Hickerson testifies that Jessica was so badly burned that her torso was like a leather cast. Her chest was unexpandable, so she couldn't breathe in enough to say what they thought they heard. Oh, my God. And they even show the autopsy photos. And they point out to spots directly below the breasts and torso. And Dr. William Hickerson says they look more like bruising and not attributed to the fire. What does that mean? Sexual assault. Oh, shit. Most likely sexual assault. So, again, the second trial, the running Eric and Derek, that's what the defense is holding on to. They now, the prosecution brought in this world-renowned doctor that's like, she literally cannot breathe in enough breath to say those words. Mm. But so many people heard After five days of testimony, which, like, she was able to say Jessica Chambers, like, you know. That's true. She okay. was. So, yeah, you're right. She was. Yeah. She was She was fighting. She was fighting. So after five days of testimony, the jury goes to deliberate, and the next day they reach a verdict. A mistrial was declared. They couldn't reach a verdict. So that's frustrating. This time it was, this time it was half and half, six guilty and six not guilty. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So this is okay. frustrating, but also I feel like it's it's good. It could have. Oh, there's more. Okay. All right. All right. I'm gonna keep my mouth shut. I'm gonna keep my mouth shut. So John Champion, the DA, allows. Which what a name the, for a DA. I know, right? You better not fucking fail. I'm just saying. <laughs> the extradition of Quentin to Louisiana. Because he is now on trial for another murder of another young woman. No. Louisiana. On August 8th, 2015, eight months after Jessica was murdered, an apartment manager gets a call about a strange smell coming from one of the apartments. So he lets himself in and discovers that there has been a strangle, a strangle, a struggle, and he notices the bedroom in the bedroom a body of a young woman who had been stabbed multiple times, and her body is in an advanced decomposition. The body is of 34-year-old Ming Shin Shao or Mandy to her friends in the U.S. She be she had been dead for about 10 days and was stabbed over 30 times all over her upper body, oh, according shit. to the autopsy. Oh shit. So investigators discover a receipt from a Walmart pharmacy dated July 28th, the day before they believe she died. Thankfully, Walmart has pretty good video surveillance. Yeah, they do. And they actually see Mandy leaving Walmart, and she gets inside a black Chevy Impala, and they notice that there is a man in the car as well. Now, they can see in the video that the man 
is a young African-American and Mandy hands him the prescription painkillers that she had just gotten. So they look back at Manny's financial records and they realize that money had been taken had been taken out of her uh, out of ATMs out of her account after she'd been killed. Okay. And they pull the surveillance cameras and they spot the man they saw in the Walmart parking lot. Is it Quentin? The police run the plates of the car that Manny had gotten into and it comes back to Quentin Tellus. Ooh. So, shortly after Jessica's murder, Quentin had moved to Monroe to be near his fiancée. He moved into Mandy's neighborhood. Oh, no. Was it him so the, the police charge him. So, the police charge him with unlawfully using Mandy's debit card because they don't have the evidence at the moment to charge him with murder. Mm-hmm. But the police get a tip, though. A man tells them that he has a friend who has admitted to him that he killed Mandy, tortured her for her PIN number, and then took her debit card to get money. And they didn't mention this because it's still an ongoing case, that the details that this anonymous tip giver mentioned had not been released to the public. So the cops take him seriously. Okay. He reveals that Quentin told him all of this. So Uh, now they have the probable cause to charge Quentin. So... After the two mistrials for Jessica Chambers' murder, Quentin was sent to Louisiana in 2019 and is waiting for his trial. He is to face trial in Louisiana in early of 2022 from Mandy's murder. And at that point, that is when Mississippi will make the decision if they want to retrial. Shit, Charles. So I do want to say that one of the theories about what Jessica actually said to the first responders was wreck. Okay. Because you have to remember, she is in unimaginable pain. Yeah. She's most likely been sexually assaulted. Yeah. She's been set on fire. Yeah. So when she managed to, God knows how, get out of the car and get herself from like not being on fire anymore her brain could have been thinking like your brain tries to process like what is the most reasonable thing that could have happened to me yep. most people aren't going to say i was set on fire most yeah. people can say i was in a car accident wreck Oof. so in her mind she could have thought that she was in a wreck and not eric or Derek. yeah that's not because i was the same way when i first remember i remember that this case came out i was like oh they're pinning on him like you know, small town cops, black man, has sex with a white girl, like yeah. all that yeah. bullshit. They're pinning on him. But then when I watched this, like, I was like, oh, no. I think he might have done it. He did it. I think he did. I think the fact that there is, even though you can't, there's a lot of circumstantial, I don't know if he could get a fair trial. Hmm. Because there are, there is a lot of circumstantial evidence to it. But I think the fact that one, he immediately sent that text, like mm-hmm. as soon as like she was set on fire mm-hmm. and like what and everything, mm-hmm. he sent that text like, "Hey, babe, I can't see you. My girlfriend's coming." Mm-hmm. But then deletes everything, everything from his phone. Mm-hmm. It's sketch. The fact that even though you can't see who's driving the car or the vehicle, 
the timeline is matching up of him going to his house to get certain things and then heading back towards the murder scene. The cell phone data, like, it's just really like. The evidence does seem to be pointing uh, his direction. It's in his direction. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't want to be on the jury. And the fact that that there's no in her cell phone and her they never found a connection to an Eric or a Derek. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, baby. I just like I think of that poor little child. Like and again, I know I'm not that much older than so, her, but I'm just like that is an infant. Yeah. And that's how she died and like that just yeah, breaks my fucking heart. It's horrible. So, like I said, Mississippi is going to wait to see the outcome okay. of the trial of Louisiana. Um, her family, they, or at least her mother, believes that it was Quentin. She, the, her mother is in the the, the episode, uh-huh. and um, so they might not. You know, I mean, it's a lot of trial, and if he gets convicted of Manny's death, and it's like you know, to life, like what's then they might not we, even bother trying mm-hmm. him I mean, but it would stay in like an unsolved murder you know it's yeah it's uh it is annoyingly circumstantial mm-hmm. but regardless um Someone killed this poor girl, and we need to find out who that person was. And yeah, I, I, unless unless new information comes to light, it seems like it's Quentin. And I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I think of is um, Joseph uh, Oberhansley, right? Mm-hmm. Slaying women right and left, like he just killed another woman. That that Ooh. you get a lot of you don't get a lot of credit. Uh, the uh, cannibal Oberhansley, remember? Oh, yeah. After you kill the second one, it's like, fuck off, dude. And I think, like, the fact that, man, like, it is very, like, the car that she got in, that Mandy had gotten into was Quintel's car. Yeah. And they are able, they have video surveillance, and they have a witness. Yeah. Like, uh, you know... To me, it's like he brutally murdered somebody and tortured somebody for a pin number. Why know, wouldn't 30, he set What was it? 30 fire? stab wounds, did you say? Um, yep. About 30 times. 30 stab wounds? That's mm-hmm. not like a quick and easy death. Mm-mm. And so what I hear is somebody who enjoys inflicting torture and pain on women, which may be my bias as a woman... <laughs> No, I feel like, like, but like yeah, yeah. Fuck off, dude. Don't. Like, mm-hmm. fuck off. <laughs> yeah. So that is the case of Jessica Chambers. That was, ex- that was interesting. That was very interesting. Mm-hmm. That was a good one, though. Yeah. So, yeah. Well. On that lovely note. Weekly win. Yeah. Tell me your <laughs> weekly <laughs> Um... I guess my weekly win would be 
that we're back home in our own, like, house and, like, I don't know. It's great visiting in-laws, but it's nice to have, it's nice to have back your own space. I mean, my weekly win is for sure uh, Hamilton. Yes. You're going to have that <laughs> weekly win for like a month. I can already tell. <laughs> it's going to be like three weeks from now. She's like, and my weekly win was that three weeks ago I saw Hamilton. Live. On Broadway. <laughs> oh. It's not with the original cast, right? No, it's not. It's Well, it's the, no. it's the Broadway cast, but that's not the same as the original cast, which – it's not the entirely original cast on um, Disney, but it's a lot of the original cast. Um, but no, it's not. Um, but it was still. No. I haven't even seen the Disney one, so like. No, you saw I it once because I made you watch it. I made you and my dad watch it. Remember? No, we watched it for like <laughs> ten minutes and then we switched to Drunk History. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, you guys. All right, y'all. Well, stay safe out there. Lock your doors. Get a dog. Happy New Year. If you've got any resolutions and that's a thing that you do, stay with it. Um, if you are like me and fuck resolutions, then happy day one of 365. <laughs> or I guess day, yep. day four. Yeah. <laughs> happy 2022. 22. And like we said at the beginning of last year, but I guess not enough people heard, we're going to reiterate it one more time. Everyone sit down, be quiet, don't touch anything. Anything? Stop it. We're going to have a better year, God damn it. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, we'll talk to you next week because next week, Chels has a really awesome case for us. Um, do you want to tell them? Do you want to tease them? No, because I'm not sure if I'm going to get it done. Okay, okay. Next week, we have a really exciting case. Um, and so I hope you guys come back to listen. Yep. All right, friends. We'll talk to you soon. All right, y'all. Right, bye. Bye.